Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back for another week. It feels like the footy does not stop. It is just all footy all the time. And to be fair, it is pretty fun, especially with some of the results we've seen this past weekend. So we can't wait to take you all through it. Before we begin, we wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So today for this football feast, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, and Marnie Vinyl. It was, like I said, it just felt like there was footy on every single day of the week. You could not escape it. And it was insanity. So here were some of the results from this past week. We had Brisbane convincingly beating the Gold Coast Suns by 69 points. Nice. The Bulldogs then beat Geelong by 12. The Crows were huge winners over the Giants by 40 points. Carlton got back into the winner's circle with a win over the Saints. Richmond finally won another game, beating the Eagles by 23. North continued on their merry way with a win over the Pies by 23 points. Melbourne An incredible comeback win over the Lions. They won by three points. In our last game, we had a draw, the first draw of the AFLW season with Gold Coast and the Dogs both scoring 41 points. So, so much to talk about from these results. The last two games, yes, there's a little bit of recency bias, but also we'll start there because they included some absolutely incredible comebacks, not only from the Dogs, but also from the Ds. So, Let's start there. Let's talk about these two games and these absolutely incredible comebacks. Marnie, do you want to start us off with some thoughts and opinions on these two games? Sure. I kind of want to start with the Dogs and Suns, but I will start with Melbourne Brizzy because that happened first. So Melbourne were trailing by 22 points in the late in the first half, and then they came back to win by three points. And it was an incredible, incredible comeback. My thoughts do go to Greta Bodie, who had a chance 40 metres out of the kick after the siren to win it for Brizzy, and she just did not make the distance. And the same thing happened at the corresponding match in round nine last year. It almost felt a bit eerie when these things happened, especially because the seasons are so short. So when you get these almost duplicate games or duplicate um, occurrences, it does just feel a bit, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. I'm going to go with eerie, but stay tuned. Um, And the Lions, they've really, really looked like they had it, but then Harris just really changed the game. She had seven contested marks. And I think Anna will talk a little bit more about Harris, but she kicked 2-2 and was just such a game changer. Alyssa Bannon as well, two goals. And I really love seeing those two be the game changers with one hand you've got such experience and on the other you've got this new up-and-comer and to have both of them working in tandem and just be so lethal especially in that forward 50 it's so exciting also a shout out to Paxi another great game Karen Paxman is just so consistently good she had a match high of 23 disposals move on to the dog sons the dogs were trailing by 24 points at three-quarter time That is the big, so to come back and, well, they didn't win it. It was a tie, get to that. But to come back, that was the biggest comeback uh, in an AFLW game in the history of the league. If they'd won it, that would be an amazing record that they could have claimed. They had an incredibly energetic and vigorous final quarter. They kicked four goals in 10 minutes at the start of the fourth. 
That is incredible. Um, so they both, both teams finished on six, five, so 41 points. And it was such a chaotic and scrappy final minute. My thoughts do go out to Bonnie Too Good, who she had a kick um, with about a minute and a half left. And if it was, you know, not a goal behind, still would have won the game, but sprayed it. So my thoughts do go out to her because she's been consistently incredible these past few weeks. Um, she's been such a, a game changer for her side and so dominant. So it would have been good for her to keep the winner. Anyway, uh, and my mention in that game also goes to Robotten, who nabbed her first goal and she had 24 disposals, 17 contested possessions. I mean, number one draft pick is just really proving why. She's been amazing. Big shame about the Melbourne-Brisbane match. Oh, sorry, the Brisbane-Melbourne match is it was on a Monday night at Metricon Stadium. I know, I know that there's COVID, you know, postponements and gays getting shuffled around, but like it... It felt like a blockbuster clash and it lived up to it, um, but really it didn't enable people to to go and see it, did it? Like it's it's on the Gold Coast when they are Brisbane. It's one thing, so you've got that travel element, and it's a it's a Monday night. It's not school holidays. It's 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 really disappointing. Or you know, people aren't on their holidays, not necessarily school holidays. Like so that 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 was a disappointing thing for me. And you you could so easily have missed it if you weren't looking out for AFLW that night, or if you didn't know the game was on, you could easily miss it. So to me, that's that's pretty disappointing the the time slot. Um, but yeah, as you say, Marty, just it's two incredible games. Um, Melbourne also quite smart with moving Daisy Pierce behind the ball um, to just provide that steadying presence, and that's something that I think is something that will really help them come the pointy end of the season, come finals. They're obviously looking for that elusive flag. You mentioned Paxman, who's got so much experience and just keeps giving again and again. And then um, <clears throat> I think having the ability to play Pierce sort of where they need, they've resisted the temptation to throw her into the on-ball mix. I don't know if they've just put a line through that, given she, you know, given she's at the tail end of her career, but to have, you know, those versatile older players who can, who can do a role and we know Paxman can go behind the ball. You prefer to have it on ball, but she can go behind the ball. She can play on ball. You have, you have room to move there as well. Um, but yeah, obviously Taylor Harris is the, the talking point, isn't she? As you say, Marnie, it's equal to the AFLW record of seven contested marks, two goals. And we talked about this preseason. I think my big prediction was that I don't want to make this about me, was that she would be the, she could be the difference maker for the D's, right? Take them to another level. And it's great to see her do that. Like, we all know her quality. People forget she's still only 24. Like, she's still a relatively young player. It's just because we've known her since those exhibition matches. I think people I think people go, oh, yeah, she's at her third club. But you, you've got to actually look at it in perspective. The first time she moved clubs was she wanted to move to Melbourne from Brisbane and the big, you know, the big offers come from Carlton and she's gone. And then now you're sort of seeing the change where it's not worked out and she's moved to another club. But both, I think, Harris, who sort of put her boxing stuff on hold to focus on footy, and Melbourne, who have got the absolute best out of it, deserve so much credit for the way they've gone about it. She, um, She's fitted in with a plum. She looks really happy. She's enjoying her footy. And she's doing exactly what she should be doing. There's not a over-reliance on her to kick goals. So she did that, um, obviously, on Monday night, it's about being part of a wider forward group. And as we mentioned at times, that includes Pierce. We we know that Bannon and Kate Hoare in particular, obviously, are very potent up forward as well. But 
she's just unable to do what she does best. And she's looking in like fitness wise, great. Like we saw a couple of those contested marks. One in particular, it was one where she was the get out, kick up the line, come all the way to her defensive 50, provided the target, which is something we don't see all too often in AFLW. I think that's one of the things that really sets players like Harris apart to have someone who can come along and be the traditional center half forward in that sense, providing the get out kick to not only relieve pressure on your defense, but kickstart something going the other way. And then obviously gut bust to try and get on the end of it. It's, it's really exciting. We knew she had this sort of potential and she's pulling it out in big games where it matters. And she's, you know, she's not just beating up on St Kilda, for example, she's doing it and stepping up when it matters. So that's really exciting, especially for, for Melbourne. It's a bit scary for opponents, but I imagine Taylor Harris and her management are probably feeling a, a little bit of indication after how messily things all played out. Like, I mean, you, you never want a departure to be messy and to blow up in the papers and on radio and those sorts of things the way it did for Harris. But at least a few months down the track, it's not like she's flopped at Melbourne. It's actually looking like they got a real bargain in terms of what they paid on the trade table. At least I'm not sure what the financials were, but on the field, she seems worth her weight in gold right now. And if they can continue to get the best out of out of Taylor Harris, you have to think the sky's the limit, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to mention that I've really enjoyed in her post-match interview uh, the person on the boundary was like, oh, I think your teammates are calling you Superman. And she just quit back. Oh, they're calling you Superwoman. Yeah, they are, Taylor. She's just one of the best characters in the league. And I know we speak about this a lot, especially in women's sport more generally, but the fact that they have that personality and it hasn't been like media trained out of them, she absolutely fits that bill and she's such a good character. And the fact that she also is backing it up with the performances on field is just sensational. I will say, though, just with the Ds, I totally agree with you that obviously Harris is bringing something, but they still seem to be having shonky first quarters. Is that something that they need to tighten up? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like That you, and they're kicking. That and they're kicking. Well, there's a few top teams, Marnie, I reckon, that need to tighten up their kicking before you enter finals. Adelaide, Brisbane are also pretty guilty of that stuff. But, yeah, of course. Um, you can't be in its finals, especially when you're getting tired at the end of these seasons and everything's on the line. You can't be coughing up leads early in games because Brisbane let you get away with it this time or you've, but they're not going to do that again. They'll learn how to tighten up and, you know, hold a lead better. Um, something you learn with maturity. And I know that was a real sort of blitz from Melbourne, but yeah, you, you've got to put it on the board early. And I'm, I'm sure they would have recognized that and, um, as we mentioned, you know, putting a pierce behind the ball, get some experience back there and just sort of solidify it. And that's, I guess, also where I mentioned the the Harris get out kick before. You've got to have players doing those little things as well to to sort of stem the bleeding if, you, if you're getting dominated a little bit at the start of the match. So, yeah, of course. Of course you have to tighten up. Like, by no means are they, you know, sort of premiership favourites right now. You know, we saw them go over to Adelaide and, and cop it, but... Yeah, yes, they got they got to tighten up on those first quarters. I think they'd agree that with that more than anyone. Let's talk about some other impressive people and teams from this weekend. So, Money, who impressed you over this week? I was going to say weekend, but it's not been a weekend. It's been a full-on week. So who's impressed you from this past week? Right, there are so many games and so many players to choose. This question is becoming harder and harder. But uh, I will say Ash Woodland, 
She took her goal tally to 14. So she's just too shy of the single season record. And she is beating Taylor Harris, who we've just talked about, has been incredible and so lethal in front of goal in the forward 50. She's beating Taylor Harris, who's on 13. And I'm really excited to see a potential battle of a Woodland Harris for that leading goal kicker for the end of season. And because both these teams are looking to make finals, so it could be really spicy. And I'm very excited to see that. Um, and then I will just say Katie Brennan is just below on 11. So Richmond not doing quite as well as uh, Crows or Melbourne, but, you know, she's still in the mix. And then my other who's impressed is Kirsty Lamb. Uh, talk of almost every game for the Bulldogs. This player has just been so incredible in the way that she takes the game on. Against the Cats, she had 26 disposals, 12 kicks, three marks, seven tackles. And against the Suns, which was what, like four days later, she had 18 disposals, 12 kicks, three marks, six tackles. So there's two very consistently impressive games. Um, Sarah Burt, who does the coverage for The Age, tweeted, it's the year of the lamb. And I love that a lot. Um, And also another one from Twitter, Claire Cozy. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. She pointed out um, that lamb went for 138 in the inaugural draft. So that's incredible, 138, and now she's one of the most uh, crucial and critical players who is just taking the Bulldogs to winning like a whole new level. And then we can't not mention Ev Marinoff. So she's the first uh, AFLW player to reach 1,000 disposals, a huge, huge effort on an already incredibly decorated career. She's a two-time premiership player, a two-time All-Australian. She was the NAB rising star in that first year. She was the club's best and fairest last season. And now she's the first to reach 1,000 disposals. And especially because she's known for her tackles. Oh, and she's only 24 years old. But as we mentioned with Harris as well, like these, they're only 24. They're so young and they have such decorated and impressive footy resumes incredible i've got to add one there is um jazzy garner three goals yep. 26 touches um six marks as well to steer north melbourne to a, a big win over a former club in in collingwood just a, a master class she is so good jazzy garner and i don't want to say underrated because i think it gets, it's a trope that gets a bit tired but we often talk about, or we've talked about in the past, Ash Riddell getting overlooked. I think she's starting to get her time in the sun. But for the quality that Jasmine Garner's delivered over the you know, past few seasons, or for a long time, I feel like the recognition has not been at the same level. And we've seen that certainly in terms of you know, the, the league best and fairest. She's not picked up votes in games where you go, oh, she, she took that game by the scruff of the neck. She was running the show. What, what's going on here? And if she doesn't get three votes for this one, you have to genuinely query if they're just not looking at her. But she is just all, all class. As we know, she's got fitter throughout her career. She started as very much a forward, now plays in the midfield, but can still go forward and hit the scoreboard so well. Powerful in the air. She's smart. She can kick goals from anywhere. Just a real, an instinctive footballer, I think, is the way I put it. She's, she's a real footballer's football. She can do the spectacular, but she just gets it. You see that with some players, like they just seem, I don't know, born to play footy. And that's that's what the feeling you get when you watch Ghana play. She's a bit older now. She's 27. So should be, you know, in the prime of her career. Um, and uh, she's a key reason, obviously, with Riddell and plenty of other players, why North are having this wonderful little purple patch after maybe, not a shaky, but not the start of the season they would have wanted. They've really grown into the season. And 
again, it's an endorsement for lengthening the season, letting teams hit their stride. But she's all class and uh, just impressed again. And really, 26, 26 disposals and three goals is a huge game in AFL men's, which is a much longer much longer quarters. So to do that in, a, in an AFL women's match is just sensational. All class. Unbelievable numbers, such a good player. We've spoken about the teams that impressed us, but obviously in games there has to be winners and there has to be losers besides the, the draw, obviously, where footy was the winner. Um, but, you know, we had our, our good teams, our good players, but this round also had some shockers, some less than impressive performances. We are, of course, talking about the Saints and the Giants. They are unfortunately the, the worst of the worst at the moment. They're just not good. It's not happening for them at all. Neither side kicked a goal this weekend. It was not a great showing from them. So happy for you to talk about the Saints or the Giants, but what is going on with these two sides, Harrow? I mean, St Kilda kicked two points in the entire game against Carlton. Carlton were under pressure coming into this game, let's remember. So good on them. They responded. They really took it upon themselves to make a statement. They did just that. Fantastic win. Contributors all through the midfield, um, across the board. You see players like Georgia G, Mimi Hill really step up, which is something I think they've needed a couple of extra players really, you know, taking on the load. Fantastic for Carlton. Good result. What's going on, St Kilda? Like... This is, I know they've been hit by injuries and the the whole uh, Patrikios thing. Like that's, we're well past that though. Two points, it's, it's two points in a game, but for three quarters, the final three quarters, they were held pointless. They did not hit the scoreboard at all. Like it's, it's actually beyond belief. Like it's, you, you can't believe it. And it, as, again, we'll talk about GWS, but they were at least playing Adelaide. Like Carlton were, a team that needed to respond, but they haven't been in the upper echelon of teams this season. Like, it just would be so deflating. Um, yeah, and they- it's, it's disappointing because we saw them really gritted out in previous games. Like, we've seen them, you know, take it up to – oh, not take it up, but be right in it against Brisbane. We saw against Richmond earlier in the season, a few games where there's been missed opportunities by St Kilda. But this one, they just weren't near it. And, again, we've talked about – them copying runs of consecutive goals. Of course, you're going to do that if you don't kick a goal yourselves. But, you know, it's 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 seven unanswered again against Carlton. And, yeah, Marnie, it's just got to be really deflating for him right now. Like, that's just getting battered all over the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think we said last week on the pod that for both Carlton and Saints, they would be coming into this game thinking we could win this one. This is the one that we'll get under our belts. And for Saints to get two points on the board, not even be competitive, they didn't really even give Carlton a run for their money. I don't know either really what's going on there, you know, like as you said, injuries and then the Patricios thing, but that was at the start of the season. They've had a lot of time to fix those issues and to kind of hammer some of those mistakes and see what's going on. But it's just, it's not working. They're just they're not playing at the level that these other teams are. And especially when, you know, you've got teams like the Suns and Geelong who came into the season predicted to kind of hang out at the bottom of the ladder and they are just playing so well. They're being competitive. They're up near the, near the six and, and they're going into games. We're not really sure who's going to win. And it's hard to tip because 
they're being exciting. They've got players that are stepping up. And then you look at the Saints who are just not that. You look at the stats and, you know, obviously players like Tilly, Lucas Rod, you know, battles hard throughout every game. Like, in clearances were even, contested possessions, there's only two between them. St Kilda win the tackle count. But then it's about actually taking the ball forward, right? And they got smashed in terms of inside 50s, marks inside 50, um, tackles inside the forward 50 is always a, a good indicator in terms of pressure and locking the ball in. Carlton, Carlton doubled that. Obviously, they had more inside 50s as well, but just not making, you know, breaking even around the contest is one thing, but if you're not actually doing something with it, the stats can sort of be a bit misleading, right? So they're doing... they. That must be a really frustrating thing for them, right? They they're getting in at the coal face and they're doing the hard work there, but they're not actually able to make it translate into something meaningful. Scoreboard, repeat inside fifties, holding the ball inside fifty, like these things just just aren't happening. And it's it's six straight losses for them now. And yeah, it, I can just only imagine how just how frustrating it would have been. Like <laughs> it's um. I mean, Nick Del Santo said it was disappointing. You know, they showed some signs, but for the majority of the game, they didn't show how they wanted to move the ball. They didn't show how they wanted to defend. Like, just a collective poor performance, basically. And now it's about picking themselves up. And they get to do that against the Giants this weekend. Or will they? Uh, Marnie, you, I hope you enjoyed that segue for one. But yeah, I did. GWS, two damning performances in a row, one like, and this one was particularly bad. Zero goals, five behinds against oh. Adelaide, but still not good enough, right? Absolutely not good enough. I mean, last week they narrowly avoided that incredibly unwanted record of not registering a single point in an AFLW game. So thank goodness, you know, to Jess Doyle who kicks that goal in the closing minutes. But if she didn't, what, no points? And this week they had no goals, not a single one. And... You know, I think it's a similar story in the inside 50s that you kind of explained there with the Saints, where a big difference when it comes to goal scoring or not goal scoring, and it was really evident when they were going up against such a strong team of the Crows, is opportunities in that inside 50 and getting the ball into that inside 50. The Crows created opportunities for their forwards through their marking ability, through their work around the grounds. This was while the Giants lost a lot of those one-on-ones, which are absolutely killing them. They only took two marks inside their inside 50 all game, which meant they had no avenues to goals. Adelaide had 22 shots on goal from 35 inside 50s, while GWS only had seven shots from 18 inside 50s. So they're just not getting the ball up the ground. And if you don't get the ball up the ground, there's nothing you can do with it, no matter how much you win the ball. If you don't create opportunities, in that forward half, there's absolutely nothing you can do. And you'll have games where you get no goals. And again, kicking accuracy was such a big issue for this game. It was really to the Giants' reprieve that Adelaide booted a staggering 5-15. Because if Adelaide kicked a, like, a bit straighter, if they booted a bit straighter, that would have been such a huge and just a nasty, nasty blowout. Do you imagine that percentage? So... It'll be really interesting to see the Giants go up against St Kilda next week when they're both, you know, really struggling to move the forward forward. They got well beaten in the tackle count as well, GWS, for a mm. team that, you know, <laughs> lost and could have lost quite heavily. So it's, yeah, it, it's one of those, it's one of those weird ones, right, where 
um, we talked about with Carlton and St Kilda last week, but I think this is an even more extreme example. We've had two teams who just, let's be honest, haven't got near it in their most recent games. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty damning. And we're talking about, we're talking pre-pod about that win the Giants had over the Bulldogs, that really big win. It's looking more and more like what, an anomaly an outlier we were we were running through all these terms a mirage in the desert is how i describe it (laughs) it's just it wasn't real it wasn't it it was based on nothing substantial it and it breaks my little bulldog's heart i've made no secret that i'm a doggies fan it breaks my little heart now that the dogs have been on such a good run but maybe it would be even better if they had nabbed that win over the giants because they have not suggested that it's something they can 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 continue. Also, I've just checked the fixture. Giant St Kilda is today. We are recording on a Wednesday. It is literally tonight. So we will find out very soon this if, is crazy. if this uh, um if this fixture is going to live up to its potentially potentially bad billing. <laughs> um but yeah. Just games happen. You you blink and you're like, oh there's another game on. Like I said, I got the the email for from ESPN's footy tips to put in my tips for round eight, and I was thought to myself, I just did that. What do you mean you want me to do it again every week? It's genuinely becoming quite hard as a fan, um, also when you're, you know, part of your job, to just keep up with all of these games that are happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, Festival of Footy is good in some respects I mean it's exciting but also having games on a Monday night Tuesday night Wednesday night Thursday night Friday night Sunday night Sunday night that is that's too much dare I say that's it and there's some belters in there as well at least Mm. the real belters that appear to at least be getting held over for prime time like Fremantle Adelaide Melbourne North intrigues Mm. me Casey Fields on a on a Saturday night like even Collingwood Bulldogs is like if you're wondering, I'm doing my tips at the moment. Um, <laughs> like, even calling the Bulldogs, you go, oh, can the Bulldogs buy something there? Like, belt around a footy. It's just hard to keep up when you've got games in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. We will talk more about the upcoming, upcoming games very shortly. What we will talk about, you guys have perfectly kind of set it up. This week's handy point, having just a glut of games is... A lot to deal with as a fan, obviously, but these players are the ones that are actually running out onto the park and playing these games. And at the moment, no one is feeling that more than the Brisbane Lions. They played their third game in nine days. The other day, the loss against Melbourne, they will play their fourth game in 15 days when they travel over to Perth to take on the Eagles. It's insane just from a pure numbers perspective. And then you start thinking about the fact that these are actual athletes, actual humans, actual semi-professional footballers that are having to live this and work through this and find whatever it is within themselves to actually go out and play and play well. So that is this week's handy point, talking about, Again, it's basically an extension of last week's about the semi-professional nature of this competition, of what we are asking these athletes to do, considering the ways in which we support them. There's also been a a bit of talk this week about professionalisation from the AFL Players Association. They have hopes of making the competition professional by 2026, but it just feels like that should be happening a lot sooner. So let's talk about it. 
2026. It's it's a weird one, right? Because I always think the players, unions and unions generally should be pushing hard and then it's the AFL's job to push back. Like it, it doesn't seem ambitious to me to just go, 2026 is, is four years away. Like we're going to have another Olympics. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have Women's World Cup. We're going to have like so many things are going to happen in that time. Is it like it just, to me doing that just feels like it's on the back burner and good for you. Like, so many careers are going to start and end in that four-year time. And for me, if you're the players, I, I, I side completely with Debbie Lee on this, who was on, I think, ABC's um, um, podcast and said, I think we can become full-time anytime we want. She's obviously the Bulldogs women's footy boss and a legend of the game and the sort of person that made this league a reality based on having ambitions and not settling for it'll come when it comes. People like Debbie Lee pushing for the AFLW are the reason why Gillan McLaughlin and co decided to start it earlier, decided to jump on the momentum because of people like Debo who pushed for this and had ambition and said, no, why should we wait to have a women's league? It, it should happen. It should already have happened. And she's been completely vindicated with all her pushing for, and obviously as an AFL Hall of Famer now as well, like, for me, I, I, I don't understand why you can't just make it happen. I, I feel like I'm parroting myself a bit because on the far post, we we're talking about this through an A-League women lens, Marissa. But these are two competitions, the AFL women and the A-League women. The AFLW plans to have four more teams come in next season. And the first question you have to ask is, and I, I'm excited for those things. Great for Essendon, Port Adelaide, Hawthorne, Sydney, that they're getting in on the act. But ultimately, what it's doing is creating more part-time, casual, precarious positions. It might be creating more work, but it's not creating the type of sustainable work that is good for people. It's, it's going to be more people getting an opportunity at the top level, but not necessarily getting the opportunity they deserve. Like, If it was one or the other, professionalise or expand early, and we know all the other things that expansion, diluting talent pools, but giving people an opportunity, blah, blah, blah. We know all that. We can have that discussion time and time again. But surely professionalism has to come first. And if it doesn't come first, then why don't we make these things happen together? Because we know how much money there is in footy and people talk about revenue and this and that. You can't tell Like we know most men's football clubs or men's sporting clubs around the world are not running out of profit because of because of men's football, right? We know there's the Gold Coast Suns, for example, in the AFL. We know that St Kilda and the men's down down here, obviously, have had debt as, issues as well. Like if the AFL wanted to make AFLW fully professional, it could do it. And uh, it's great to see players pushing for it. And now Morris Dalton from the Bulldogs has been very vocal on Instagram, like in terms of getting this graphic of different pays, comparisons across different leagues, shared and you know pushed around quite widely and I think the general public is calling for this they want to see as we said last week players able to do this professionally in full time and I think it should be able to happen now and it's disappointing that the the group that is meant to be advocating for the players and I know that there'll be different elements like some players wanting to sort of stagger how they handle that work-life balance those sorts of things but Surely your job is to push for it earlier and then the AFL pushbacks and then you have the, the haggling and the back and forth to just go straight to 2026. You're not even making the AFL do the job of pushing back on you. 
um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's been a big couple of weeks in women's sport and I just want to see him professionalised. Yeah, I think that a lot of us want to see it professionalised and it's really interesting to me that it seems that the AFLW community and a lot of, you know, fans of the game are trying to find these answers to these questions and put them to the AFL house and to AFL PA rather than the people that should be coming up with the answers, you know. It's people like you and I and and Debbie Lee who, you know, is such a significant figure but it's, it's people like that that are trying to come up with these answers and trying to pose these questions to AFL rather than AFL PA or you know a, a representative body that should be doing it and to Debbie Lee's point if we can't do it now tell us why and don't just tell us why if, oh it's not profitable enough like show us the numbers then show us why you actually can't do it now because all of these people in the community are find ways to do it now and giving up arguments to do it now so they need to be responding to that and if they do make it professional now just think about where it will be in 2026 four years down the track as you mentioned there'll be world cups there there'll be olympics in between there'll be all these sporting opportunities think about where the aflw could be in 2026 if they made it professional now and i was actually just thinking i really don't want to say his name on the pod but Eddie Maguire talking about um, the upgrades of the MCG and what he wants to be done there and the roof to be, you know, put in there. And I was just thinking while I was listening to this, just like, but where's women's footy? Like, are you accounting for where women's footy is going to be in your plans? Because by the time that the MCG gets a roof, women will be playing there. So that has to be accounted for. And can we stop just, you know, putting all these giant ambitions on the men's game and not do the same for the women? It doesn't make any sense. It's just so frustrating. I, you know, we, I love listening to you guys talk about it because you've got obvious passion for it and it comes through when you speak, but I just hate that we've talked about it this week. We talked about it last week. It's something that we will continue to talk about. Anna mentioned we talked about it on the far post through a a soccer lens. It's a conversation that is happening everywhere but it's a conversation that's happening between people that don't have the power to change anything at the moment. And that is what is so frustrating because we can talk about this, but what actual meaningful change can we create? We can't. So we just kind of have to keep banging the drum, although it feels like we're kind of banging our heads rather than banging sticks against these drums to push for this stuff because we know that it will make everything better. It will make every kind of issue and concern will be improved or will benefit from full-time professionalization whether that be concerns over the skill level concerns over low scoring ensuring that these players aren't having to play you know four games in 15 days all of these things will improve or benefit from full-time professionalization so it just doesn't make sense for it not to happen and hopefully if more players are are vocal, because obviously they've got the real kind of power in this, if they're able to go to the AFLPA and basically be like, no, we want you to be, as the body that represents us, we want you to be a bit harder on this, a bit firmer on this. Hopefully that moves things a bit more. But yeah, like I said, I just, I'm I'm sick of having this conversation, even though I I love it and I, I feel the passion, I relate to the passion, I agree with all the points you're making. I just hate that we're still having this conversation. Love to see a few AFL men's players step up yes. and say, "Yeah, I could handle a bit being skimmed off the top here. I could, we could cop this. We want 
to make this league professional? Because you're going to see more and more examples of like the players know each other. The players are at the same at the club together. How can you be at the same club? And it's not always at the same time with COVID facilities and go, yeah, it's sweet that we've got this, but the girls are having to come in. I, I've been to soccer matches um, at Amy Park at the same time as Melbourne's AFLW girls are coming into training after work. And we we've talked about we've talked about this stuff over and over. We don't don't need to, but it'd be great to see some leadership come from AFL men's players and a few prominent figures, especially those inside the PA, stepping up and saying, "No, let's let's take it upon ourselves," because we've seen the benefits of that with cricket, uh, with the Socceroos Matildas deal where the Socceroos adjusted their pay structure to allow the Matildas to have that full-time thing. I mean, we're just coming off the whole equal pay thing in US soccer, which is obviously a different marketplace, different country, yada, yada, yada. But why don't we see some leadership from the men's players in this space? It would, that no. would be fantastic. I'll be really quick on this point, but every time that I see an AFLM player get fined and they just don't even acknowledge it, like all of this money that they're being fined is nothing to them. And I just think, give it to the women then. Anyway. Yeah, and it, it was the interesting, the quote from Paul Marsh about um, that was on the age the other day saying, it's not about the industry pushing this problem to the male players and saying, you pay for the women. We've got to be better than that. But why don't we have these collective discussions about how the whole game's going to benefit? Because I can tell you what, AFL Lens is definitely benefiting from more women and girls being into footy because of AFLW and because of pathways for women and girls to play footy. And not to mention the collective um, unpaid labour of women around footy clubs and footy for generations and generations before they're even able to play. So it would be great to see... Some, and I'm not saying that the men's players are the problem here. They're definitely not. But it would be great to see some leadership from more of them on this and say, yeah, come on, let's make this happen. Because the whole game, not just women's football and girls' football, the whole game would be better as a result from professionalisation. And I just don't see how I could disagree with that. We could talk about this stuff for ages, and we probably will, but... We'll move on for now and look ahead to the upcoming week of fixtures. As we said, tonight we've got the Giants and St Kilda in what is set to be a clash. We don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but it's definitely set to be a clash. Then some really huge games coming up this weekend. We've got Frio and the Crows, Richmond taking on Geelong, Melbourne and North. The Saints will then take on Gold Coast. They'll have a quick turnaround. The Pies will take on the Dogs. West Coast Brisbane should be an interesting one. And the Giants will play host to Carlton. So lots to look forward to for next week. We can't wait to chat to you then about everything that is happening in the world of AFLW. Until then, though, we'll catch you later. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.